everybody. You can have a seat. Uh, my name is Chris Sturgeon. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, super excited to be with you this morning. Um, and thanks so much to these guys, right? Like, great job, Josh. We're so appreciative to have you here with us this morning. Um, I want to I wanna start off by relating um, a story and a conversation that I had recently uh, with a friend of mine named Jeff. We'd gone out to get coffee, um, haven't haven't knocked anything over recently, haven't, haven't had the, the, the opportunity to see this guy as much as I would have liked to in the last year. I'm sure that, that you've all had similar experiences with your friends. But, um, so we meet up for coffee, and after we've caught up on what's going on with our families, with our, our friends, with our jobs, he says, hey, Chris, I want to ask, ask some advice from you. I had a friend call me, and he asked my advice, and I don't know, quite know what to say to him. And so he runs this situation by me. Here's what it is. Jeff's friend... Um, not somebody I know, but, but he runs a, he's, he's a small business owner, he's an entrepreneur, and his business is um, he helps place kind of IT professionals with other small businesses who need some help. And so the way it works is, you know, you're a small business owner, you've run into an IT issue, you call up Jeff's friend and say, hey, I need help with this. Um, Jeff's buddy has a whole long list of contractors, and he helps broker a relationship between the two of them. Um, small business owner now starts paying their new IT person, and Jeff's buddy gets a small cut of that. So that's the, that's the business model. And he'd been successful at it. It had gone well. And so eventually he hired another guy to come and do sales, to, to start developing relationships with new small businesses, to help uh, continue to cultivate their list of IT professionals that they could place. Um, and they worked together very well for, for a long time. And just the two of them, they'd become friends. They knew each other's families. It, it had gone really well. And then um, the employee starts to feel his health going downhill and ultimately is diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, and as his health continues to decline, he ends up in a point where, where he can't work anymore. And so he's lying in bed at home with his wife and his kids, and, and, he, and he has to kind of leave. And so now Jeff's, Jeff's buddy is running um, his own business, but all by himself now. Enter COVID-19. A lot of these small businesses who uh, were clients of the employee end up having to cancel their contracts. They're scaling back on their costs. Uh, you know, their volume of business has gone down, so they just don't need that anymore. So um, the, the guy with the brain tumor is still being paid residuals on the clients that, that he had built up with the contracts that he had negotiated, but a lot of those start getting canceled um, as these small businesses are having to respond to the reality of the economy. But now things are picking up again. And so some of those clients who had stepped away, who had canceled their contracts, are now coming back and saying, we need to hire somebody again. And so Jeff's friend is now having to manage that relationship, is having to negotiate these new contracts, is having to take all of that work onto himself, right? And so then he says to Jeff, what do I do? Those were his clients, but I'm doing all the work now. Do I continue to pay him on the clients that were his who left and are now coming back? And so that's, that's, that's the, the situation that Jeff presents to me. And the rest of our conversation is spent trying to answer that question. What do you do? What's the right thing to do in that situation? 
And I'm not gonna tell you what the answer is right now. I'm gonna make you think about it for a minute, but you gotta make me a promise because I I promise you we're gonna come back to that. I'm gonna say some other things before we get to it. Uh, Don't spend like the next five minutes just like making your case and like like putting your sub points under what you would do, okay? We're gonna come back to that, but let's talk about something else real quick because we are in the midst of a series called Make It Matter. And the core of the series is about, you know, you do th- like you all are at church right now. Those of you who are watching online, you chose to tune in. We sing songs. We listen to sermons. Maybe you're a part of a core group. Maybe you do a devotional each day or you read your Bible or you pray. So this series is all about how do those things that we do get worked out in our lives? How do we really live out this faith that we are participating in right now in a way that matters in this world. That's what this series is about. How does that faith affect the way that we make decisions, that we carry ourselves in all of our relationships? And that's what we're gonna dive into. Let me say a prayer, and then we're gonna hop into a story in the Bible that I think speaks very much to this issue. So God, Lord, we thank you so much for the sun and the warmth that we got to feel yesterday. It's felt like way too long. But God, we're also grateful for the rain and the moisture that's coming over the next couple of days. Lord, you show yourself to us in so many different seasons. And God, we pray that you would help us to know how to see you in each of them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read a story to you in just a second. It comes from a book in the Bible called Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Genesis is the first one, then Exodus. So we're kind of back at the beginning of things. And here's a quick recap of what's been going on where we jump in at the story. The Hebrew people, kind of God's chosen people, have been toiling uh, in slavery in Egypt for a couple hundred years. Um, And they have cried out to God and asked for help. God has heard them, and God has told a man named Moses that you are going to lead my people out of Egypt. Right? So Moses shows up, he talks to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, and says, you got to let my people go, you know, that one, like Charles Neston and all that. Um, and Pharaoh says no, and so God uh, delivers 10 different plagues upon Egypt, each one getting worse and worse, until eventually Pharaoh says, go, get away, we cannot bear this anymore. And that's exactly where we dive in. Pharaoh has just said, you can leave. So this is Exodus chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And to really understand what's going on, I think you need to see a map. So we're going to toss a map up here, um, and there's this kind of dotted line. This is the path that they're ultimately going to take. Um, And so if you look kind of over here to the left, uh, they, they start out in a place called Ramesses. That's in Egypt. And they're trying to get up here to the upper right corner. This is a place called Canaan. This is the promised land that they had, that had been promised to their forefather Abraham, right? That's where they're, they're supposed to be. And if they simply go northeast and follow the coast of the Mediterranean there, that's a four, maybe five-day walk, right? So in less than a week, they should be there. But instead, they go south, 
And this journey that you see ultimately takes 40 years. Should be five days, actually takes 40 years. Like that's a, that, that's a, that's a big discrepancy, right? I'll share with you, uh, last night, my mother and father-in-law watched my wife and I's kids so that we could go out on a date night. Um, and we, when we showed up to pick up our kids uh, to take them home in the evening, my father-in-law kind of asked, like, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? And I said, you know, Exodus 13, and Moses has taken uh, the people uh, out of Egypt. And, and then he says to me, do you know why it took 40 years um, for them to get there? But you have to understand this about, about my, my father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law runs the doctorate of ministry program at a very large seminary in California. He has two doctorates himself, and before he entered academia, he was a pastor for 30 years. So as father, fathers-in-law go, he's uniquely uh, positioned to offer some insight into an Old Testament passage. And so when he says to me, do you know why it took 40 years? In my head, I'm thinking, dear Lord, I hope so. I wrote a whole sermon on it. And I'm kind of afraid you're going to tell me something now that means I'm not sleeping tonight because I got to rewrite my sermon. Um, and so I kind of braced myself. His name's Kurt. And I was like, um, uh, no, Kurt, why? And he says, well, it has to do with, with Moses and, 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 some, and, and some of how Moses was uniquely made. You see, Moses is a lot, was a lot like a lot of guys, um, and he just wouldn't ask for directions. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> You know, no amount of experience of years or education makes you outgrow a dad joke. And so um, I just thought I'd share that with you. But, but, but he gets to a big point here, right? Because we should read this and our, our brains should be screaming, why? Why did a five-day journey take 40 years? That is way, way too long. And the scripture actually gives us one answer, Right? It says that, um, you know, to go along that coast, they have to go through the land of the Philistines. And that was a very strong enemy, a very strong military power, right? And so, but, but what does God say? He says, um, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. And this is one of these moments when we read the Bible where we need to pause. Um, there's a Bible teacher I've been listening to, who, his name is Marty Solomon. He talks about what he calls the lullaby effect. And that's where... Uh, you've heard something enough times that you stop hearing it. And it must come, I think it has to come from the lullaby Rockabye Baby, which is like the most twisted thing on the planet to sing to a sleeping child. Rockabye Baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. Uh, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come baby cradle and all. Like that's weird, right? <laughs> we used to sing that to my daughter, Nora, and literally we had to stop because every time it made her cry. And, and I realized, I feel like I just threatened my kid, go to sleep or I'll throw you in a tree, right? <laughs> like, we, we hear these, like, we don't, we don't realize what we're hearing. And I think that happens in this story. But what, what this Bible teacher says is like, we've got to see the weird things that show up in the Bible because they're like flags that show us where the buried treasure is. And there's something happening here that we need to notice, that we need to hear, Okay. So God says, hey, I can't lead you through the land of the Philistines because you, you'll be afraid of war and you'll turn back. Turn back to what? Enslavement in Egypt, where they have cried out for hundreds of years under the brutality of the whip. It's not like they're, it's not like they're coming from a pretty cush position hoping for a better one. Nobody turns back and goes to that. Mind you also, the next line in that scripture says the Israelites went up prepared for battle. This isn't a bunch of people on a hike. They are ready. They are expecting 
war, right? And then check this out. God says, you know, you know, they'll be afraid of the Philistines, but God has just delivered them in the most amazing, supernatural, remarkable way from an enemy infinitely stronger than the Philistines and the Egyptians, right? That's the context of this story. So it's pretty strange, right? That you're not just gonna take the four to five day journey through that land. If God can deliver you from the Egyptians, surely God can deliver you from the Philistines. But that's not what happens. And so it just begs this, we have to look at it and know there has to be more to this story. Something else is going on there and that brings us back to why. Why do they go south? Why do they go by what this scripture calls the roundabout way of the wilderness? And why does our journey in life often take us through that roundabout way of the wilderness? Why does our journey drop us off in the painful place? Why does that happen? Because I'll be honest, I wish it didn't. Personally, I prefer for God to, read, to lead me through the easy way, the advantageous way, the beneficial way, the strategic way, the way that takes me to the promised land in the quickest way possible. That's what I prefer. But so often I feel like I'm being brought through the hard thing, the difficult thing, the small thing, the meager thing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about those places in our life where it gets hard, right? Let's talk about the wilderness. Because look at this, the, the journey through the wilderness is one of the most common themes that we find throughout the scriptures. I don't have a list of everybody because it would take way too long. But listen, these are some of the figures from the Bible who have to journey through the wilderness. It begins with a guy named Abraham. This is kind of the beginning of the people of God, right? And he lives in a place and God says, hey, I'm gonna take you away from the land of your fathers, of your friends, of your family. I'm gonna take you to a new place. He has to enter the unknown. He goes into the wilderness. There's another dude in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. He's one of the prophets. And I don't know if anybody ever did like a power ranking or a mock draft of like Old Testament prophets. But if they did, I promise you, Elijah would have been picked first by the Jacksonville Jaguars on Thursday instead of Trevor Lawrence. And if you don't know what I just said, find the nearest football fan and he or she will tell you what that means. Here's the thing. Elijah did incredibly big, powerful, amazing things. And then he finds himself alone in the desert, begging God to take his life. He enters the wilderness. Moses, who is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, began his life as a, in, the, in the palace in Egypt, as a prince of Egypt, and then spends decades in a backwaters town being changed in the person that God needed in order to lead them out. David, the greatest king uh, that Israel was ever going to have, spent years hiding in caves because his predecessor Saul was trying to kill him. John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, never left the wilderness. He, he lived out there eating grasshoppers to survive. He lived his whole life in the wilderness. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, when, when Jesus appeared to him, he spent three years in a desert place, the desert of Arabia, getting to know God better before he was ready to live out the mission that God had put on his life. And Jesus himself, God in flesh, spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness before he begins his life of ministry among other people. This theme is all over the place in the Bible. 
And listen, for those, for those people, the wilderness looked different for each of them. And it looks different for us too, right? For, like, for some of them and maybe for some of us, it's literally just sitting in the woods alone. But man, our wilderness can look really different. It can be things like losing a job or a business. I know that in the past year, as we've dealt with the economic impacts of a global pandemic, so many of you have had to sit in that place of struggle, of worry, of concern. You've been living in the roundabout way of the wilderness. It can be a lost relationship, um, a friendship or a significant other, a spouse. It can be a, a, a parent who's, who's passed away or a child. It can be a significant health crisis in your life that can put you spinning into a place just wondering why is this so hard? Why can't I get to the promised land? Earlier this week, uh, my wife and I hosted some friends of ours um, around the fire pit at our house and they'd reached out and asked if they could come over because they wanted to hear our story of walking through infertility um, and ultimately into adoption because they've suddenly found themselves on that journey and that after a couple of years of trying, they just haven't been able to become parents. So they asked, would you share? Would you share what that was like for you? And sitting back there and reliving those moments brought back a lot of hard memories, right? I, some of the things that I remembered was what it was like to feel like control of this most fundamental part of my life had just been taken away. Like, I think I, it's easy to think, you know, when you're a, a young married couple like we were, that when you feel like it's time to have kids and like, well, we'll just get pregnant. And that sounds kind of fun. And, and, then, and then we'll have a baby. But that's not how it was for us because then it became a bunch of um, doctor's appointments and tests of shots and hormones and hurt and disappointment. I remember um, realizing only as, I, as they were dashed that I had all these hopes and expectations that I didn't realize. As we talked, I remembered a day that I was, I was walking down the street telling uh, updating a friend of mine on what was going on, I looked down at my hands and my hands look exactly like my dad's hands. I cannot look at my hands and not think of him. Everyone in my family knows it. Everyone talks about it. They are, they are the spitting image. And once we'd realized that there was just not gonna be a chance for us to conceive and that adoption was gonna be our only path towards parenthood, I remember it hitting me and grieving that I won't have a kid who has my dad's hands. I didn't know I'd hoped for that until I knew I couldn't have it. Those were hard, hard days. I remember, I remember the pain of people asking for an update because they cared. Hey, how's adoption going? And the reminder in that, that I didn't have anything to say, that we weren't getting any closer and how much of that hurt. And then I remember the pain of when people stopped asking and feeling so alone in it. That was the wilderness. That was hard. And listen, before I move on, I just want to say this. I know that there are people listening right now or watching online, and I remember how lonely that was. And if that is you, this is my email address, heychris at ascentcc.org. If you will email me, man, lunch or coffee or a drink or whatever on me, because I, I do remember 
how lonely I was, and I don't want you to be lonely in that way too. And so I would love to sit with you and hear your story and share mine with you. Man, that's the wilderness. Why? Why does God lead the people of Israel into the wilderness? Why do we walk through the wilderness? I can't say that I have a perfect answer for that, but I can, I can say that like my experience has led me to this, to know that there are two really big obstacles. I'm sure there's more, but I kind of group them into two categories that prevent me from having the relationship with God that I would like, and both of them get confronted in really big ways in the wilderness. And you kind of group those, it's about desire and trust. Here's what I mean, we'll start with desire. Because see, when you enter that wilderness place, man, you're gonna face that question, what do I most desire? What does my heart long for? So the Hebrew people, right, they desired to arrive in the promised land. They had been told that that would be a place, uh, the Bible says, flowing with milk and honey, right? It's this beautiful, poetic way to talk about a place where, where after, after hundreds of years of toil and suffering, life is finally going to be easy and comfortable, where, where you're going to experience freedom, you're going to experience prosperity, you're going to experience wealth, like, like the world around you is going to work with you instead of you having to work against it. That's what they wanted. That's what they desired. But then I have to ask myself, what, what do I most desire? What do we desire? And it's one thing to like have a pastor stand on a stage and ask you that question and know what the right answer is. It's another thing to really take a deep evaluation of your life of where your time goes, where your mental energy goes, where, where, the, where all of you directs and say, what, what, what do I most desire? And it can take a lot of forms like, man, I just wanna have like this perfect picturesque life, right? With uh, the perfect house and the perfect job and the perfect spouse and the perfect kids, the perfect family, right? It can look like that. It can look like, man, I just wanna have um, the perfect body, the perfect um, the, the, of health in my life. It can be, man, I just want to be popular. I want people to recognize me and want to be around me. I want to be funny. I want to be cool. I want to... You all have your own answer to that question. And I would, I would just say, I would encourage you this week, don't just, not just what comes off the top of your head. Spend some actual time in investigating what lies inside of you. What do you most desire? Because when I do that for myself, this is what I can say. The answers that I land on tend to point to what I deem to be in my own self-interest. My heart just leads me towards, like, what's best for me, right? But I've learned this in life, too, that my own self-interest is not a worthy compass for my life. What's best for me is not the best sense of direction for where I'm going in this world. And listen, I understand that that flies in the face of so much of what, we, of what we're taught in this life. It's certainly me. I'm, a, I'm like a middle-class, Midwestern kid, uh, American kid with educated parents, right? My whole life I was told, no, 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 you just dream it and you can be it. Set some goals, find a strategy, work hard, and you can do whatever you want in this world. That's how I grew up, right? And in many ways, that has been true 
for my experience. But let's go, let's go back for a second, right? Because we can look at that and think, man, whatever comes my way, if it's in my best interest and it isn't obviously wrong, illegal, immoral, then it's right. Then it's okay. Then it's what I should do, right? I got to take care of me and my family. I got to get mine. So let's go back to that story I, t I started with. My friend Jeff and his friend who owns the IT business, right? When Jeff told me that story, here's what I thought. Well, certainly the business owner, he's doing the work now. He has every legal right as these clients return to the business to pay himself out of those accounts. That is okay to do. He should keep paying his former employee for the contracts that he negotiated. Those residuals should not stop. But as those clients who left return, that's his. That's okay to keep. But what if just because something is okay doesn't mean it's right? What if just because it's okay doesn't mean it's what's best? Doesn't mean it's what you should do because I think in this life that sometimes the right thing to do is not the most advantageous thing, is not the smartest thing, is not the most strategic thing. I think pretty often actually the right thing requires sacrifice. It extracts a cost from us. It may even involve pain. Because listen, the idea that whatever is best for me is the thing that I'm supposed to do has to die with Jesus at the cross. Jesus, who existed before the universe, gives up like this position in heaven to come down to the backwoods in Canaan, to be born into dirt, gives up an eternal body to put on flesh like ours. That's sacrifice. That's a cost. Who's going to live and live out a ministry where he's going to heal the sick, feed the multitudes. He's going to walk on water. He's going to raise the dead. The Bible tells us that as he is approaching his execution, that Jesus could have called out and in one word brought in thousands of angels in order to assist him, but he doesn't. He doesn't do what's in his best interest. He sacrifices. He steps into pain. He determines that the right thing to do is not the best thing for me. You know, when Jeff presented me with that scenario, my, my real thought was, yeah, I mean, your friend should probably keep the money for the work that he's doing now. And fortunately, Jeff is smarter than me. And he said, you know what I think I'm going to tell him? I'm going to tell him that, you know what, that money that's coming in isn't yours anyways. It's God's. Your job is just to steward it, to receive it and do what's right with it. And then just say, now, now you decide what's the right thing to do. Does that change that for you in your mind? When you think that this idea, I did it, so it's mine. Say, no, it's not. It's actually God's and you've been trusted, entrusted with it. And then decide, what will you do? See, guys, in my life, I can tend to just want God to help me achieve my goals, right? For God to come alongside me in the story that I am trying to write with my life. But hear this. God's desire is to be what you want. 
to be what we want. My desire is for God to give me what I want. God's desire is just to be what I want. And I don't know, but the wilderness seems to me like one of the only places where that can really truly happen. Here's the other obstacle that I think we face in the wilderness, and it has to do with trust. Because see, I don't want to go in the hard place because to be honest, I don't trust that I will make it through. That if I have to walk that road, I don't know that I'm okay. And so I don't want to go there. But I also think that the wilderness might be the only place, the only place where we can truly learn to put all of our trust in God, to put all of it and say, God, if this is where we're going, I believe you're with me. And that because you are trustworthy, I'll make it through, whatever that means. So a few weeks ago, a friend of mine named Lauren shared a story in our core group that I think speaks so powerfully to this issue. And so I asked her to come in last week and actually share that story with you on video. So if you'll direct your attention to the screens, I want you to meet my friend Lauren. Well, hey, Lauren, you and I are in a core group together. Yes. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, you shared a story mm-hmm. um, about the way that... Uh, you know, sometimes when God leads us somewhere, it doesn't go exactly where we think. And so you're kind of, your story about moving to California from New York, and I was, I was hoping you'd share that story. I was living in Long Island, New York, and um, I received an invitation to come to California and have a little fun vacation, my son and I both. So- And he was? He was three and a half three. years old. Mm-hmm. So we flew out there and we had a place to stay. It was wonderful, it was excellent. I got a job hired on the spot. As one does on vacation. Uh, Yes, of course, (laughs) (laughs) it's a normal thing. But the bottom line is um, things were going so well for about almost two weeks. Yeah, and you're kind of thinking that maybe I'm a Californian now. Now I'm a California girl. (laughs) But then things happened. Yeah wasn't very good so found myself homeless essentially so at midnight (laughs) I don't forget that part yeah right yeah because it was dark and scary yeah yeah you're in a strange city Mm -hmm. all the way across the country wherever you've ever been you got a three and a half year old and you're on the street at midnight yeah and so what what happened well um, I had a discussion with God when I was uninvited in this place I was staying. And um, I went in the back room and I kind of boxed with God, if you want to put it loosely like that. And I made my argument about it was up to him to take care of me and why did you bring me out here if this is what's going to happen to me? This is not good. I don't deserve this. And I heard a voice say to me, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust me as your God? Are you going to put your faith in mankind? Are you going to put your faith in what is comfortable, what you know? And um, I thought about it, and I thought it wasn't going well. I was just uninvited from the place I was staying. So I thought, yes, I will trust you, Lord, and and I will do what you say. So he said, pack your bags, which I did, wake your son, which I did, and there we were walking down the stairs into the midnight darkness of California. Yeah. To a phone booth where I called, the only person I knew 
which was my boss, a supervisor that I met a week ago. A week ago. <laughs> Call Ken. Ken listened to my story, put me on hold, and described a car and a person in the car coming for my son and myself. And they put me up, and um, I haven't looked back in 40, almost 41 years, as far as where do I put my trust when it comes to the hard spaces yeah. in life. So he's been providing for me and did that moment. I felt like my obedience proved a relationship that I pressed into yeah. and grew year after year after year. And there was, there's been so much that he's provided for us as a family um, and then called me to ministry. Not bad for a girl from uh, do or die, Bedford Not Stuy, bad right? Not bad at all. <laughs> Not bad at all. He's someone you can trust. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, you're welcome. So we're in a core group together, and technically I'm the leader of that group, which is a great resume bullet point for me, but uh, everyone in that group will tell you who's the real leader, who's the one who really inspires us, and it's Lauren, right? That story happened kind of at the beginning of her journey with Jesus, right? And she tells you, man, 41 years, I haven't looked back. For 20 of those years, she worked full-time as a pastor. Now she applies herself full-time raising her grandson. And those 41 years for Lauren have been uh, marked by a lot more trials. That wasn't the last hard thing that happened to her. But all of those things combined, all of that time in the wilderness has turned her into this remarkable person. And everyone who knows that woman has had their life changed by her. Time in the wilderness made her into who she is. And that is the real goal. See, for the Hebrew people, it was never really about getting to the promised land. It was about becoming the promised people. I mean, think about it. Their five-day journey took 40 years. I did the math. It took them 2,920 times longer than it should have taken to get there because it wasn't about where they were going. That wasn't the point. They had to be formed in that waiting place, in that painful place, in the wilderness. And that goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is like the beginning of God's people. Somebody who God, um, Abraham and his wife had become very old. They were childless. They had passed that stage in their life. And then God says, hey, I'm gonna take you to a new place. And I'm gonna give you offspring that are gonna be like the stars in the sky. And they're gonna live in this world as a people known by God and loved by God. And the, the people seeing their life, how they live, it's gonna draw people in. That was their job. See, for, for the Hebrew people, for Lauren, for me, for you, it's all about transformation. It's about who we are becoming, about being changed by God into who we were always meant to be. God's plan for our lives is not about what we do. It's not about what we achieve. It's not about what we produce in this world. It's not external to us. God's plan for your life is about who we become. This series is called Make It Matter, right? 
And listen, you may be thinking right now, like, man, I, I want to live in a way that matters. I want to follow God, whatever it is. But the people of Israel, man, they had a cloud by day and a fire by night that never left them. All they had to do was follow that. That's easy. Lauren told that story, but she said, man, I heard a voice say, pack your bags, walk down the stairs. That, somebody told them where to go. I don't, I don't feel that. Nobody's telling me what to do. They, they had it easier than me. Maybe you're having that thought. I don't know which way to go. Well, when you have that thought, here's what I want you to know. The Hebrew people who had the, the cloud and the fire that never went away, it took them days to forget what God had done and begin complaining and say, we had it better off in Egypt. Days. God is gonna part the Red Sea. They're gonna walk through on dry ground and a couple days later, they're gonna say, the water tastes bad. We had it better back then. When you think that maybe Lauren had it easy because a voice told her, pack your bags, remember, why don't you put the image in your head of a mama stepping out at midnight onto a dark street in the core of LA, not knowing anybody, holding her three-year-old son's hand. Even when which way to go is obvious, it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. It's it's hard. It will extract a cost. There will be a price. Even when it's obvious, it's not easy, but I'll tell you this. It is good. It may be hard, but it is good. There will be difficulty and sacrifice ahead of you. I promise you that. But in the end, I believe that it is the good and it far outweighs the cost of not going of not putting one foot in another and going in the way that God leads you. So the band's gonna come back up here and we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing one more song today. And um, the, the bridge of that song includes these lyrics. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. Listen, if you're in that wilderness place right now, man, I pray that you can walk out today knowing that, that you aren't there alone. If you're not in that wilderness place, I'm sorry to tell you, you're gonna get there at some point. I hope that as we sing this last song that you can take those words as your prayer to God and that they would sink deeply into you and that they would embolden you that whatever may come, that God would be working in you to build that desire for God and God alone and would give you the strength to fully put your trust in God and walk in the way that will give you that life that really, truly matters. God, we thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you more than anything for this truth, that though the journey may be hard, that the cost may be high, that you never leave us, that you are always with us, that we'll never be abandoned, and that in some way or somehow, you will see us through. It's in your name we pray.